Welcome to Real Life with Lori, with your host, Lori Miggins, the show where we speak about life challenges and how to overcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Real Life with Lori. I have a special guest today. My guest is Elaine Lindsay. She is a wonderful lady. I met at a networking event a few, what, six months ago? Oh, or is that almost a year now? Yeah, a year now. Um, so I was able to follow her. She on social media because she came in and she gave me uh, this group a whole bunch of wealth of information on how to um, utilize different pictures and, and video and how to help it with uh, engaging with our own uh, SEO. And I just kind of thought, I just like, well, she's a wealth of information. I had to get to know you. And so I know I kind of cornered you right after the networking event and said, hey, you're a really cool person. And, you know, I, I ever since then, I've been able to see all the great things you've done. So thank you, Elaine, for taking time out of your day to be with me. And welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much. So kind of you. I love your energy. And I love the fact that you were so uh, involved and excited about I was what I was sharing at that network event. So it's always nice to have people enjoy participating. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, the, the information you gave, it wasn't just one of those, you know, promotional pits, you, pitches, you actually gave content and gave useful information. So we were able to like, take it in. And that made me want to obviously grab more from you. And that that's definitely the, what I feel is the way to do it is you give information and people are you know, like, oh, this person obviously knows what they're doing. And they've got a welcoming personality. I definitely want to resource their abilities. So, so you're on the show for an absolutely different reason. Why don't you just get into it and tell us a little bit about Elaine and who you are and why you're here today? Okay, well, we'll start with the obvious. I've been around for a very long time. <laughs> I, uh, I've actually, I've, I've been online since the dial-up modem. Wow. And uh, yeah, that's a long time. <laughs> Some people didn't even acknowledge there was a digital world to be on way back then. <laughs> I find it, um, I just found it a lot of fun and more importantly, very much like me. I, I'm told often, I think, very much like a computer. <laughs> I'm incredibly literal. So for me, it was wonderful. It was home. I love everything about it. And as I'll probably go into a little later, uh, there was a lot of times over my life where I didn't have uh, a lot of opportunity to do anything except lie down, sometimes sit up. So the internet for me, uh, when it came along, it meant I could do something besides read books for months on end. And uh, I am a lifetime learner who believes it's important to learn something new every day. Absolutely. Uh, so for me, it, it's, uh, it's been a wonderful home all these years. <laughs> I like how you call it a home because that's definitely, you know, what I, I attribute to my growth is because of the internet, because being online all the time and being virtual. Um, as you know, my side business is, is being a virtual assistant. So when I'm able to contribute and meet more people and network and, and like you said, learn so much because I'm a life learner too, from a resource that I can use for my very own bedroom. It's like this big, it opens up so many doors. It opens up an entire world and you're like, I'm just going to plop myself down in this piece right here and just take it all in as much as possible. So 
Well, the beauty is it's not just virtual. I realize at this particular time, we are kind of relegated to where we're at. Mm -hmm. And that's good, even though, you know, we've opened up a little and we've, uh, you know, restaurants and things are are now open here. Um, the, The virtual arena, if you will, especially for business, is to me so incredibly not just useful, but effective. Because mm-hmm. you and I can get together in a Zoom meeting. I didn't have to fight traffic for an hour to get to you or vice versa. And we don't have to worry about parking and other sort of odd and sundry things that can take up an awful lot of time in your day. So it really does make it more efficient. Yeah. But it doesn't stop us from wanting to meet in person. Fair. Fair enough. Yeah. I mean, I have uh, anxiety issues that like meeting in person uh, creates a, a, it creates a right. lot of triggers and stuff. So, um, and for some reason, I, I love doing things virtually. It's a easier sounding place probably because I'm in my safe area. Yep. But uh, yeah, with, with leave it, you still have that opportunity to, to step out and, and meet those people and, and that close connection. But you are right. Like instead of like, oh, I don't have the, the three hours it usually takes to come meet with that person. You don't do our usual troubleshooting. I can just flip on my camera, meet with them quickly, and then get off again. Yeah. Well, early on, um, back in back in two thousand and seven, I uh, I got on the Facebook when it first opened to the general public. Uh, if I'm being honest, I got on there to stalk my adult kids because <laughs> uh, they were getting a little fed up with me phoning every time there was you know some kind of news or an accident or whatever in where they were living. Uh, So this was a little bit easier. But really quickly, I saw that for my web clients, this could be a really phenomenal marketing tool and that you could actually build one-on-one relationships with Mm -hmm. people. And I totally understand having anxiety. The, The virtual world is absolutely meant for people that aren't comfortable in large groups. I... I can be uncomfortable mm-hmm. in large groups. Um, my mother's talking in my head and going, but I never met someone I wouldn't talk to. So yeah, that doesn't make any sense. However, me, it does to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's, there are some really incredible things that have happened over the past decade because of virtual meetings. I have a friend um, who is down in Southern Ontario. Mm-hmm. And um, Billy is absolutely incredible. Uh, Billy's on the autism spectrum. And thanks to Google+, Plus, which was kind of the original platform that this Zoom was actually built on, Hangouts allowed us to hang around with 10 other people anywhere in the world, and in some cases out, because they hung around the space station too. I got to do that a couple of times. But for Billy, he loved music. And Billy and his cat got to interview musicians and get together with all kinds of people. And it became a weekly thing. He had an incredible show. So it it's like the internet gives a, a better opportunity, a more level playing field. Yeah. For people who have some kind of issue. Saying all that, 
um, I'm mobility challenged. I walk with a cane now uh, because I lost part of my leg when I was 20. And for me, this virtual world was awesome because I didn't have to worry about stairs or could I keep up or, or you know, was I, was I going to trip or fall or did I have to go out in the snow? Yeah. Uh, for us here in Canada, my God, uh, winters can be terrifying. You know, from October until May, just stepping outside the front door can be incredibly scary. I don't have any kneecaps. I don't have any cartilage in both legs. And I have a lot of bionic parts. That's why they call me the bionic glamopreneur. <laughs> and it can, it can be scary. It can be yeah. really scary. And, and I think, you know, I'm minimally challenged. What's it like for other people that, that have you know, bigger challenges getting out there, that's got to be terrifying. So this virtual world really does have an awful lot going for it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's funny how you like you put in that spectrum where um, I like to see, I like to challenge my own belief systems and, and, and see wider spans, but I would never like, I try to make it better for other people so that if they're mobility challenged um, to make their like, to make it better for them to, to open up the world, but seeing it from your, your viewpoint of like, I it's, you know, getting out in the snow is an annoyance and it's, it's, you know, scary for me when my daughter was younger, but I didn't really think about it as like, you know, like we always make sure the the roads were solid. We always make sure that the, we have easy access enough, but I never really taken another step and seeing it from a different point of view. So thank you for that. That's really interesting that you're like, yeah, I could, I could see that being a, you know, a step in the like, Oh, yeah. And, and you know, I just walk with a cane, but I have friends that are in wheelchairs. Yeah. And, okay. Winter is not made for wheelchairs. Mm-hmm. And our city is not super accessible. I totally agree with that. At all times. And, and you know, that, that makes it difficult for people as well. Yeah. So, it, it, yeah, it's, I guess talking with you brings better awareness where, like, you know, I'll notice a friend's a brick and mortar might not have a, a a wheelchair ramp and I'll bring it to their attention, but just because I know that's the thing to do, but like taking that extra step of like, is that ramp there? Is that ramp secure? Is that ramp salty? Yeah. Stuff like that. So thank you for that. That's, that's definitely eye opening. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad. And, and I think I always thought that no matter what your abilities, everything should be open to everyone. A hundred percent. Absolutely. And and the more I see that, the happier I am. Yeah. It's, you know, everybody has something to contribute. When, when my kids were young, I made a point of letting them understand that everybody has a skill. Everybody has some talent that they have that you don't. Yeah. So you have to, uh, realize you're on a level playing field just because uh, my son was was very gifted in math and science and frustrated his sister because she was not my daughter is an incredible artist um the head behind me she did all these pictures she works in soapstone all of those things and and that was so wonderful for her because she couldn't add to save her life. Um, <laughs> and that's, that's just sort of one sample. But our, um, my cousin 
was severely mentally handicapped, yet she could do 10, 20,000 piece puzzles from the middle out. Wow. Okay. Everybody has this. She had a whole bunch of other skills too, but. Love to have that skill. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, everybody has something. And in that, there's something you can learn from everybody. I 100%, 100% believe in that. I also believe that um, as hard as our issues or our conditions are, um, if you're able to look at your, at the mindset or transfer into the mindset of like, you know, my anxiety or my mood disorder gives me the superpower of being able to contribute better because of them. It's something I, I've, I've played around with all for like the last, you know, a couple of years, but having my last interview last Thursday with a huge mentor of mine, I mean, we had our talk afterwards. And he's like, you just like your sobriety, your, your, your disorders, your anxiety and, and your, you know, mood disorder is your superpower for you to, you know, better connect and better give back to the world. I'm like, I just need to hear from somebody cool, <laughs> not myself. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Sometimes we just need somebody else to sort of take a look because we we see the mirror all the time. Exactly. And our mirror tends to be a lot more critical than, than other people's. So sometimes it's nice to just tell somebody something nice just because. Yeah. Because you never know what happened five minutes before. You never know exactly what's going on in that person's head. And a kind word, a compliment, something real. Okay. I was going to say that, add to that, but you did. Thank you. Yeah, it is yeah. so it can be life changing. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. And I think like you said, it's like in, in keeping it a real act, like something that you genuinely and authentically believe is 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 true. Giving that that kindness. I mean, that's happened a, yeah. a dozen times where I'm like I'm just at the at that pinnacle where I'm about to drop off. Somebody says something kind that day and I'm like, okay, I can make it till the end of the day. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. I can do it. Absolutely. In the um, late 80s and early 90s, we had a children's wear store. And um, we hired you you actually, from the first time I saw you, you remind me of one of the young ladies, uh, Shelly, who worked for us. And when we hired people, okay, part of my training with people was, I don't ever want you to say, hello, how are you? To anybody. When people come in, I want you to acknowledge them, but I want you to see something else. Maybe a lady has a beautiful brooch. Maybe a man has a nice suit jacket. Maybe they have a beautiful smile or great hair or whatever. I want you to find that one thing. And then I want you to make a comment. And the interesting thing was people are so conditioned to hear, can I help you? That they say, oh, no, thanks, I'm, I'm looking. Mm-hmm. And then you could see sort of the wheels turning and people turn around and say, oh, thank you. Because they realized that whoever was speaking to them, myself, Shelly, Kathy, anybody, we had given them a compliment or we had asked them a question. We hadn't actually said, can we help you? Yeah, so it doesn't feel like you're being pushing. You're actually giving something. You're giving of yourself as something that you honestly think. And then that makes them curtail back, circle back. And- well, yeah. I mean, we spend a lot of time 
as humans, just by nature, we are humans are comparative. Mm -hmm. Um, You spend enough time in the negative. Isn't it nicer to make a point of finding something nice, even when you're not getting along with someone? Very much so. (laughs) (laughs) Been there, did that, trying to find finding that one thing in the day to carry on the, the the relationship or whatever necessity is until you're able to, you know, establish the appropriate brownies and break away. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that doesn't, that doesn't mean, you know, sometimes people are toxic and, and it's just better if you don't stay in their orbit, Yeah, but you, you can take yourself out of that and leave thinking about the maybe one thing mm-hmm. that, that was good. Yeah, definitely. And that gives you a happier mindset to leave that. And when you think back to it, it, it gives, yeah. it generates happier emotions versus the. Well, not only that. Yeah. You're not, you're not choking on the bile. Yeah. You take the negative away with you. The only person you're hurting is you. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. That's <laughs> whirlwind of conversation, which is excellent. I love it. Um, so Speaking about all these awesome beliefs and stuff, why don't you tell us a little bit about your back history, about, you know, some different challenges and successes that you've had. So I know there's there's a huge amount of experiences there. So, (laughs) yeah. Um, Yeah, there's many, many. I'm 64 years old. I'll be 65 in November. So, yeah, I've been around for a while. Um, (laughs) I'm just talking about like you've had big experiences, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, No, I'm silly because in all honesty, the age thing doesn't, doesn't matter to me. Yeah. I have a 12 year old mind. That's never going to (laughs) change. I always say that I've got, I've got a a mentality of a 20 year old and I don't intend to. Oh, wow. You're so much older than me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, listen to your elders. (laughs) Yes. There we go. There we go. But um, yeah, I, I actually, in all honesty, have a very spotty business career because at 20 years of age, I was crushed between three vehicles on the highway. Wow. And um, sadly, my beautiful Mustang, uh, the engine took a portion of my left leg. I was um, badly broken, uh, both my legs, my shoulder was anteriorly dislocated, I fractured my skull, I had quite a bit of internal damage. And I was six and a half months pregnant. So when they took me to the hospital, I lost the baby. Um, it was middle of winter, it was March 19th, actually. And uh, it was about 30 below at Fahrenheit. We didn't have metric back then. Yeah. It was- we didn't have cell phones either, <laughs> which meant it took a long time for the ambulance to get there. And... Uh, was the first in a series of very difficult lessons Mm -hmm. that I have to say I'm an incredibly slow learner. (laughs) But (laughs) I'll, I'll expand on that a little. It took me uh, the next five years in and out of hospital having surgeries. I had to have a lot of skin grafts because I, I do have a big hole in my leg. Um, my father said to tell people I got bit by a shark because it was a better story. And that's what it looks like. <laughs> and I broke my nose about 
five times learning to walk again. Wow. But I was very determined because I was a very insecure teenager. Okay. I had lost a very dear friend at age 16. Uh, She killed herself. Wow. Year's Eve. And it was something that a group of us really did not handle well. It colored everything we did and everywhere we went. And by the time I had the accident, which, by the way, happened right in front of her grave, I firmly believe, not to be too woo-woo, but I had on a fur coat with a hood. And as I went up in the air, turning over, that hood kind of went up and I was put on the road to me, it felt almost gentle mm-hmm. because to, to quote the ambulance drivers, it was so cold. The road was so hard. My head should have split like a melon. Wow. And only because it was so cold did I not bleed to death because wow. everything was freezing, including the blood pumping out of my leg. It, uh, it became almost an obsession after Andrea died to be constantly wondering what could we have done? Why didn't we see it? Why didn't we make a difference? You know, what, what could we have done? Was it my fault? Each one of us in the group that hung together all felt that somehow we should have done something. Mm -hmm. The unfortunate thing is suicide is a taboo subject. Very. And back in 1976, even more so. I can imagine. I learned of her death at the Alice Cooper concert. Now, this is so before your time, but the concert was called Dead Babies. And at the end of the concert, Alice Cooper hung himself. That was exactly an hour after I learned that's what happened to my friend. Wow. So it was pretty damaging. Yeah, it's pretty intense. Very intense. Say the least. I am, however, okay, all those things said, a (laughs) survivor, okay? A powerhouse? Okay, well, thank you. I I wouldn't have said that. I thought I was a wuss. (laughs) And in surviving those five years after um, the sur- the surgeries. I was on cortisone. I was on all kinds of things. And for the first time in my life, I put on a lot of weight. Okay. And I couldn't deal with it because that had never been me. I skied. I rode horses. I swam. I did. I figure skated. I did everything you could think of prior to the accident. And once the accident happened, I couldn't do any of that. Yeah. So it became a a real rock, if you will. And in all honesty, I I had a victim mentality. I, you know, why did this happen to me? And boohoo, blah blah. By the time I was twenty seven, I decided I was going to fix it. I could fix this, and I went for surgery to have my stomach stapled. Wow. Against the wishes of my whole family. 
Okay. Unbeknownst to us, the doctor had already killed two people and was being investigated. He had a problem in my surgery, but tried to cover it up. Oh, my. Different OR reports told us nothing and sent me home at the end of that week with nothing for pain and a promise to come back in three days because the x-ray was unavailable that day so that they could make sure things were all right. Okay. I only lasted at home for 17 hours. You see, he caused a hole and hadn't put things back together properly. So I was suffering from a gastric leak. (gasps) And it had now been leaking for eight days. Wow. I left the hospital with a fever, went back to the hospital with a fever, had surgery again. Uh, We're not quite sure what he did because, yet again, there were a number of OR reports. And back then, you weren't supposed to ask the doctor what he did. Doctors were the end-all, be-all. Another week goes by, and for all intents and purposes, I'm dying. Uh, Whatever, I'm not even sure what else happened, but they had my husband hold me over a tray table while they put in a chest tube because my lung collapsed. Wow. Uh, I had an abscess, they tell me. And it just was a snowball effect, one thing after another. On September 28th, which is my daughter's birthday, he said I had to have surgery again. They took me in, and I stopped breathing on the table. Wow. I guess panicked and got a thoracic surgeon. Now, remember, he's working in my stomach. He brought in a thoracic surgeon who slit my throat and diverted my esophagus out my neck. So I woke up with a hole here. It used to be a little hole. Now it's a great big one. And in ICU, not knowing what else was going on. Long story short, you can see where the victim story just keeps going, right? Yeah. Like, boo-hoo, poor me. Woke up open from stem to stern. They couldn't sew me up again because he'd opened me up and opened me up. And your tissue just doesn't last that long. No. So they had to pack things for over a month to put it together. Meanwhile, (laughs) the hold of my neck, it was leaking on me and don't know why doctor wouldn't know, but saliva is kind of like battery acid. If you leave it on your skin for too long, it just kind of eats at your skin. Well, it's acidic. So that makes sense. Absolutely. And the nurses, after a couple of months, the nurses found the stoma therapist, the lady who dealt with colostomy patients. Okay. And she very kindly came and they fashioned a colostomy bag on my neck that we changed every two to three days. But, oh, my God, something so exciting, which I hadn't mentioned, I couldn't eat or drink anything from the 12th of September. So you end up. This is now the end of October. I'm so thirsty. Oh, wow. (laughs) I just wanted something cold. I just needed something cold. And the nurses started bringing popsicles and freezies late at night. 
-hmm. And just before we got the stoma, they would come at night with all the dirty towels that they got all day long. And we'd stuff them around my neck. (laughs) Because... Sorry, it's gross, but because I'd have the popsicle and it would end up on all the towels. Yeah. And every morning there was this massive pile of towels out in the hallway. (laughs) They couldn't figure out. But what's really interesting, the human body is fascinating. Mm -hmm. It tries to repair itself. Yep. And unfortunately, (laughs) it ratted me out. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. I had a tube in... Well, I had a whole bunch of tubes, but the tube in my right side went to a bag and it came from the stomach. They were trying to make sure nothing went through because they wanted it to heal. Yeah. I called him Hugo because Hugo or I go. He went with me for about seven and a half months. But Hugo, one morning as the doctor came in, was a little brighter than my hair, kind of (laughs) turquoisey. <laughs> didn't go over very well I know this isn't magical <laughs> yeah yeah that doctor was was really not impressed needless yeah. to say at that point I wasn't all that impressed with him either of course yeah they didn't put my neck back together for seven and a half months so I developed a bit of a scar tissue and have a little pouch so now I whoop like a train <laughs> sometimes <laughs> And when I yawn, people immediately rush up and ask if I'm okay, because it sounds like I'm either crying or or something weird. And you know what? I have a sense of humor, thank God, because mm-hmm. I really believe that's kind of what got me through. But um, the eMERGE doctor at the general, God bless him, Jason, uh, after 13 and a half months, he said, you know what? You can't feed through that tube in your side anymore. We used to have to change it all the time. It was forever falling out. That's not pretty. Yeah. Uh, Especially (laughs) in somebody's car. So not pretty. Fair enough. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, all of that went on for another few years. And we ended up going for surgery. And then I'd get back on my feet after, you know, six or eight months and just start to do something. I'd work for a month or two and something inside would fall apart. I started throwing bits of metal (laughs) out of my abdomen. (laughs) Very odd um, because he had, unbeknownst to us for over 12 years, he had taken the stomach stapling apart in the final third surgery where I stopped breathing because he didn't know what else to do. I guess panic. No one told us for over 12 years. Wow. Because it was an experimental surgery in 1983. Yeah. A vertical banded gastroplasty. And they didn't talk about it and they didn't know much about it. He was the only person in Ottawa doing it. So it was him or nothing. And After a year of going to his clinic, being unable still to eat and being tiny at that point, he said, "Uh, it's just all in your head. I don't know. There's nothing I can do. It's in your head. It wasn't my head. It was my mouth that that couldn't chew food. and My throat that couldn't. Right, but not, not, you know, (laughs) mental health type stuff. Yeah. 
physically there. Exactly. There. <laughs> yeah. But the upshot of all that meant that all I could do was read. And I'm a voracious reader, so that was good. But I would just get into something. I'd have to reinvent myself in business. I'd get into something, and then something else would fall apart. Mm-hmm. And it was back to the drawing board, which was kind of okay, I guess, because I love the fact that I was learning. Yeah. When I got into computers <laughs> in the late 80s with our store, yeah. by 92, we had the best internet you could get, and we had a computer that I used all the time because it meant that I had more world than just what was around me. And one thing I hadn't mentioned, because of the damage to my legs and my insides and a few other things, I'm in pain 24-7. I'm on, I was on a ludicrous amount of pain medication. I've talked about this with people before. Um, That's now cut down to next to nothing because I want off it. Mm -hmm. Uh, The upshot, unfortunately... They've only learned in about the past seven or eight years that those surgeries, that vertical banded, not only did it often fall apart, I mean, not, I don't know anyone else that had the doctor taken apart, but it caused diabetes. It caused other issues. And I was given so much blood. I was given blood from the prisoners in the States and had hepatitis C. All of this thanks to this surgery. But now this sounds all black and bleak and bleh. Sounds like quite a story. Yeah. In 1997, my son was getting ready to go to cadets. My daughter and her firstborn were here visiting. And we decided to go for an early supper. We just went in Chapel Hill. We went to uh, Broadway. And when we came out, we were walking up the aisle. Uh, to get to our car, and there was a man backing out, looking forward. And as we get to the car, he starts backing up. So I knocked on the trunk of the car going, hey, people here. And the next thing we know, this gigantic man comes lumbering out of his vehicle, screaming and swearing, F-bombs, and you stupid bitch. And it's like, whoa. And we're trying to cover Marilyn's ears, my, my granddaughter. It's like, hey, yeah, of course. children here, what's wrong with you? Yeah. And at that point, I lost it and said, you're a complete asshole. Get in your car and get lost. Yeah. Our car was, I don't know, five, six cars passed. We got to the car. Um, I think my daughter and granddaughter were on one side. My son was on the other. And the next thing I know, they're yelling. And I look up. And he turned his car in to try and hit us. And I stepped in front of the children. And he backed up with me on his car, hitting my legs, of course. The best part of me. (laughs) Why am I laughing? Okay. This is the best thing that ever happened. Okay. I know you're going to think I'm nuts. (laughs) No, I'm just excited to hear what's coming next. (laughs) You see, for about five years, 
I've been watching Oprah and reading the, the Ninth Insight and the Four Agreements and all these books. And I kept thinking, there's got to be more. This yeah. can't be all there is. It can't just be suffering and, and what have you. And we went through a lawsuit for over 12 years. Judge said, yeah, yeah, there's like way over half a million in damages, but I just can't pin it on the doctor. Because, well, he's a doctor and you're fat. Now, he didn't quite put it like that, but that's about what it amounted to. There's a lot more that goes with that. And, wow, we won't talk about it. But that was two years before this incident. Okay. And I kept thinking, what's the common denominator? And it kept being me. Okay. All of these things happen. It's all around me. There's only one common denominator. It's me. Well, this can't be all that life is meant for. Mm -hmm. And the light bulb went on. And I read even more voraciously and went online and learned about Reiki and learned about all kinds of things. And then in 2004, I met, her name was Patricia Wall. And my son calls her the holistic missile. <laughs> what a name. <laughs> yeah. And she taught me to meditate and use incredible tools and visualizations to deal with the pain, to make life better, and to finally start chipping away at that victim mentality. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. I didn't come with any self-confidence. Even though I was working part-time with some clients and doing web stuff, and even though I was learning more than an awful lot of people would, I didn't feel that I was worthy because I didn't go to university. I was invited to LinkedIn in 2005. Went on LinkedIn and went, oh, my God, I don't belong here. Are you kidding me? I didn't go to university. I don't Oh No, no, no. I'll just get out of here. And it wasn't until 2013, I didn't tell anybody this story. Nobody knew the extent of what we'd lived through. And I say we because my family are the ones who had to suffer through all of this. Yeah. I will say I can be very sharp-tongued. And in my 20s and 30s, I don't think I was particularly nice work. And someone in 2009 said, you should be doing social media. I said, oh, don't be in South Africa. Her name's Tina Cook. She Mm -hmm. said, you've got to watch one of the webinars with Mari Smith. Okay. Okay. And I had taken a course uh, with Kate Buck in Texas Mm -hmm. called Let's Get Social. And, you know, bought some courses. Thought, okay, well, I suppose I could do this. But. I'm the kind of person who, if I'm going to do it, I want to be the best. Yeah. Or why bother? Mm-hmm. So when Tina told me about Mari, I went to a webinar. And that night, Mari called me. And we realized that while she's Canadian Scottish, I'm Scottish Canadian. <laughs> and we're both from Edinburgh. Oh, neat. Which is very cool. Mm-hmm. And I ended up going to her Relationship Marketing Institute and I mentored with her for more than three years, and I'm still 
in groups with Mari. I think Mari's absolutely amazing. And in 2011, when Google Plus opened up on day three, I got in and got into Hangouts, which is video, and realized that I think perhaps I found my place. Oh, neat. Took a lot longer, probably three or four years ago, for me to acknowledge that I don't have to be mean to me. Mm. And as some very smart people, Stan Phelps and Dave Rendell wrote a book called Pink Goldfish. You should read it. I'm picking it up. (laughs) Absolutely. Stan wrote this book, um, Purple Goldfish. It was the first in the series. There's now like 14 Wow. And pink goldfish is about flaunting your flossom. F-L-A-W-S-O-M. I like that already. (laughs) And Dave Rendell's first book was The Freak Factor. (laughs) He wants you to let your freak flag fly. That's awesome. So now my freak flag flies. I get to do amazing videos with people like you. And have a blast doing an integration of search and social media to help people set really good foundations so you can get found first in search. Yes. And I've (laughs) heard great things about what you do and how you do it. So, I mean... I don't know if you were ready for such a a long, long story. That's okay. I'm like, no, it's great because I... I had positioned it to be only five to 10 minutes. And I realized that as they keep getting longer and longer and longer as I go. And I'm like, you know what? Other than that, I have a two o'clock. Um, I, I like having the ability to be able to converse and learn so much more and be like, if somebody like you have, who's gone through such intended intensity and in learning how to, you know, step out of the victim mindset and, and learn how to be a, become the powerhouse you're meant to be. That's, exactly what the show is about is being able to pay it forward like look I've been through I've been through a lot of shit and I'm and I'm learning how to become a successful version of myself and so there is opportunity so I mean thanks for being the epitome of what this show is all about (laughs) hey thank you so much told you I talk a lot that's great I love it I love listening about you and I, I mean it's saddens me to know that you've got such an incredible person has gone through such big things and you know tragedy but like the the way your 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 mindset and being able to like take those opportunities and, and present it in a way that you're like yeah I, I've gone through shit and I used to think that you know it was all it was all crap but this, this is how I've shifted these are the things that I'm doing and this is how like you know I'm flourishing and contributing and becoming having a fulfilled life because of it so well, we create our own destiny that I believe, okay, we create our reality. And if you surround yourself with good people, good things come. Yes. But I wouldn't trade my life for anyone's because without all of that, I wouldn't be the person sitting here with you. I will probably cry when I say this. I 100% agree with that. I was actually up on a, a networking event that I had a couple of weeks ago that we were. I was asked whether I would want to change my past or see the future. And I'm like, I, I wouldn't change anything, anything at all about my future. And I don't want to know my future because it takes the magic out of it. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. The future is not written in stone. Yeah. And we can change whatever. 
Exactly. And it's, it's so magical not to know it's, it's like, yeah. you know, a gift, not, not to be woo woo, as you said, but like the, the present is, is. Oh, a I'm all about woo woo. <laughs> yeah. I, I love the idea of like, you wake up and there's so much, it is a gift because you don't know how the day is going to unfold. It, it might turn out to be a bad day. It might turn out to be a great day, but you know, you have to go minute by minute and see how things that's when I was my first dates of recovery was all about. It's just like, absolutely. And, and it's about those minutes. I don't want to keep you too long, but it's about those moments being in the moment as much as you can. Yeah. I have this weird little thing that I I don't know how to, what I'm going to turn it into, but I learned over time. Okay. When you go to sleep, whether it's overnight or whether you go for a nap or if you have a fight with your hubby or or your best friend or something goes bad at work, if you go have a nap, when you wake up for those just few seconds, then as you wake up, anything's possible. It's fresh. It's exactly. The world is not written for you anymore. Yeah. Okay. You can wake up and you get to choose in that moment. Do I take that crap with me or do I go forward on some new adventure? Mm-hmm. I love it. That's, that's, I, that's why some people are like, why do you take naps to reset? Or why do you, why do you lie down? Cause I'm like, that feel, that's exactly it. When you wake up, it's, it's like this fresh feeling where you're like, okay, I do got this. And then you, yeah. get, you, know, you push forward. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah, that would definitely, if you can work something into like helping that provide that opportunity for people, yeah. I'll probably want to be your first clients. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Elaine. Um, I would love to have you on the show again, just to talk more from where we've talked. Oh, about. good God. You don't need <laughs> maybe, maybe we'll just have you like a recurring, uh, recurring guest. <laughs> episode one lane, episode two lane, episode three lane. We'll make our own series out of it. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I know my, my, probably my young teachers and my family would say, yeah, I talk enough that we could do this. <laughs> I do too, but I like listening more than I like talking. So it's a, it's advantageous when you have a guest on. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for blessing us. And I hope everybody enjoyed you as much as I did, whoever's watching and take care. And I will see everybody else next Tuesday. Bye now. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. To find all our episodes and more information, go to reallifewithlori.com.